Hello again, welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom study group that meets here on the internet from Shiloh United Methodist Church. That's right, this is Shiloh United Methodist Church's virtual church classroom where we study the Bible and things related to the journey with Christ in a way that we think is uniquely Wesleyan because it's all about heart and mind, and that's our premise today. As always, I have my wonderful daughter, Bethany, helping me to uh, join you in this journey. So the two of us are going to speak with you today about our new study that uh, we've just decided a couple of weeks ago what we wanted to do. And, uh, and just it took us a while to get around to it. So if you're listening in real time, forgive us for the amount of time it's taken to get to this point. Um, being a pastor of, an, of a going concern is a bit of a, a challenge, and sometimes it's hard to find a moment to do some of these things. But here we are, Bethany, and uh, we're going to be doing Mere Christianity. We had a special request for uh, a visit to some of C.S. Lewis's material, and just so happens Bethany and I were all together overwhelmed and excited about that opportunity weren't we yes like oh boy you mean you want us to talk about c.s lewis okay i already do that and now i get to do it as a podcast that's right that's right and so you we're more than happy to talk c.s lewis with you and of course to use his own words c.s lewis says that this book mere christianity which started as a radio broadcast i think it's neat that we're coming back full circle it's kind of fun you know, but he said it's not a substitute for Christ in Scripture, but we hope that at least for a few minutes, just as he intended when he wrote Mere Christianity, you might find this helpful in kind of wrapping your mind around how some people are looking at what it really means to be a Christian. And what's interesting is, is that it might just equip you to reach out to the people you know who don't get what Christians are all about and it might even help you to, with heart and mind, find your own uh, journey with Christ more fulfilling. Because that's something that C.S. Lewis was brilliantly gifted at. And uh, that's why his legacy has outlasted mm -hmm. him so long. But first thing we need to do is have a quick prayer. So let's do that now. Dear God, thank you for all the faithful listeners and uh, all the scholars out there seeking to use their heart and mind to know you better. Lord, bless Bethany and myself as we come to uh, bring this conversation into the hearts and minds of the listeners. You make yourself heard, we pray, Lord Jesus, because we do it for the honor and glory of your heavenly Father. You are Lord and King, and with the aid of the ever-present, indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, started out as a radio broadcast like a lot of his stuff did, and uh, eventually became a book that has been read and reread and reprinted over and over and over again for generations. Um, and it really is uh, a remarkable book because some of the simplest and most basic rationale for accepting Christ as a real Son of God, Lord and Savior is explained plainly by Mr. Lewis. And uh, a little background, I know you, you, I'm gonna let you do this because I think we could both tell the story, but I, I didn't tell you I was gonna put you up to this, but you'll be fine. 
Tell them a little bit about C.S. Lewis. Um, there's been at least two movie versions that and I describe. I haven't seen either one. And I think they're both really good. I need to watch them. Also, this is such a side trip. Sorry. I just saw that there's a new book coming out. It either just came out or it's coming out. That's It's called like Becoming Mrs. Lewis or something like ah, that. Okay. And it's all about his wife. And I'm so excited. I want to read it really bad. That does sound like a good read. I think it's a fiction, but it's still like I'm still really excited about it. Cool. Because I figure, you know, it, like, somebody had the brains to fall in love with C.S. Lewis. She must yeah. have been okay, too. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> and he probably, you know. Well, and, and that is a really great story. Uh, in fact, that's that goes right along with this. I was talking about the two movies. Yeah. Um, the, the movies are called Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was basically the story of his relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So I read a biography last summer of C.S. Lewis, and uh, I'll I'll start with things you may not know because I don't think you've read a biography about him. That I I'm listened aware of. to that one about him and Tolkien and the war. Yeah, yeah, which but, really is a terrific book. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, uh, what is it's? Well, it was. I'm trying uh, to remember the name of it. Um, the lion. The lion, the witch, and the war, or something like yeah. that, because they have witches in Tolkien's work yeah, too. I was so. to well, anyway, it, it was just a, it was a guy. I could uh, look it up. So C.S. Lewis, in a nutshell, all right, he's he's uh, a product of the early twentieth century. He uh, he lived in a, a he was a kind of a lonely child. He had a brother he was super close to, stayed his closest friend all the way through their lives. And uh, his name was actually Clive Staples Lewis. And um, at the age of five, he declared that he wanted to be called Jack. And he wasn't kidding. Mm -hmm. And so everybody who knew him called him Jack. Which is another side note, why Jack is on my short list of names for future children. Okay. All right. Because I love C.S. Lewis. Yeah. You know. And uh, and it's just really amazing because because you know he just told everybody I want to be called Jack and and he took that name to his grave. I mean he so so C. S. Lewis was also always known as Jack. Um, he and his brother they lived in Northern England, and I I, th- I thought I heard Scotland, but they lived in Northern England and in one of those rainy places. They lived in in those ancient homes that are. Um, like row houses, I guess you call them, but not like shotgun houses like we think of in this in this uh, country. More like but, a brownstone. Yeah, like a brownstone. And and one of the things that's really interesting is is that their attics are linked, and so he and his brother like to go up into the attics, and they could explore the whole building because even though they only had one portion of it for a home, the attics were tied together. The name of that really good Tolkien and Lewis biography is A Hobbit Wardrobe in a Great War. That's right. That's what it was. That's right. Thank you. It's really good and it's not very long. That's one of the few books that I've actually read twice because I liked it so much. It was just so informative. And I don't know that everybody would go along with me on that because this does really appeal to my particular taste. Um, I've been studying a lot, as you know, about... uh, uh, the late 1800s and -hmm. the early 1900s because of the work that I'm engaged in about uh, that's roughly based on my grandparents, great-grandparents and great-grand, you know. So anyway, um, I've been doing a lot of homework on it and I've really come to understand that 
people who lived in the early 1900s were, especially those who were involved in World War I, uh, they basically came out one of two ways. And it's kind of interesting because Tolkien and Lewis were people who came out with a fairly positive outlook on life, despite having seen what to them looked like the end of the world in in so many respects. And many, many people, especially secular people who aren't as religious or who are involved in a more secular kind of Christianity, many of those people uh, found themselves disillusioned and and, uh, uh, just really given up on humanity it just that they had and and justifiably so because in the first 20 years of the 20th century they'd seen the most devastating war ever in human history and and it was inconceivable yeah uh it was devastating on multiple levels it was an environmental disaster it was a human disaster Mm -hmm. it was and then on top of that there's the 1918 influenza, which some people say probably killed as many as 100 million people worldwide within a year, and really within a small portion of a year, late 18 to early 19, basically, it goes rampant across the country, and by the end of 19 and early 20, they figure at least 100 million people probably died from this. So, I mean, people had every reason by the end of the first 20 years of this new century to think that humanity had figured out how to destroy itself. And they hadn't even heard of nuclear weapons yet. And they were already thinking that we had the capacity to destroy ourselves and wipe ourselves off the planet. Yeah. So so this is this is the world that, that Jack, C.S. Lewis, is growing into. He's an intellectual. Uh, he, uh, he eventually, his father eventually got a job and they lived in a great big huge house up in northern England where it rained most of the time so they couldn't play outside. And this is the premise that... They played inside and played hide and seek and yep. found all kinds of interesting things like a wardrobe. Yep, you got it. Yep. So, so the whole... Um, that whole Narnia thing, you know, was born in his imagination mm-hmm. when he was a little kid. And then he was an incredible scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that. He was a professor of English at... Uh, oh, don't put and me on this spot. He was professor of English and literature, I think, at Oxford. I think. I believe. I'd have um, to Google it to make sure, but... I may be wrong about that, but I know he, um, was, he was well known uh, for his scholarly he was a student of norse mythology like big time i mean he really knew norse and and a lot of others but yeah he, he really knew that one inside and out and that's important um you know if he were around today especially you know here in 2019 as the united methodist church is trying to talk about diversity and and uh uh we both would have been right because I was going to say Cambridge, and apparently he was at both. Uh, well, I so. think I think I remember now. <laughs> yeah. So, given given this whole definition of liberal education, there's a big difference between being a political liberal and being a liberally educated person. I'm a li- liberally educated person. Mm-hmm. I have a broad mm-hmm. education. Liberal arts. You know, but but uh, but C.S. Lewis was a guy who who basically nowadays would have been considered liberal in a sense not politically but simply because he would have seen diversity 
especially in the religious world, as an okay thing. But he also, being the theologian that he was, would have brought people from all different points of view about religion and Christianity in particular back to central points. That's what his amazing gift was, is that he could, he could communicate in a way that revealed how much he knew about the way lots of people in the cultures of the world interpret natural and spiritual phenomenon mm-hmm. but then he could bring it back and and like Tolkien did the same thing but he did it in a much more rigid way yeah and they, they sometimes didn't get like they were they were very good friends and they got along but they'd sometimes argue over those things because Tolkien was very rigid and he thought that like the Narnia example is my favorite he thought that Lewis played real fast and loose with mythology and like mixed things and they they would get into little bits of well and and i find it really interesting because i don't know whether my listeners or you're going to agree with me about this but but in my mind i see a correlation between the fact that tolkien was a lifelong catholic yeah and lewis was an atheist right yeah i mean we haven't said that yet but that's that's really significant like he he had a transformative experience like he he and, and it was the war, but... <clears throat> well, and interestingly, Tolkien, he credits Tolkien yeah. with being the last sort of straw. Yeah. You know, that there were several forces that were moving him towards faith in Christ, but it was Tolkien that kind of had a conversation with him on a night sometime when they were having their Inklings meetings, you know, and all this, and there's a whole story there that's Yeah, I feel like we need a cup of tea and a fire, and we could be oh, with yeah. the Inklings right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, because we're doing our own kind of, <laughs> you know, Americanized version of it, Midwestern America. But anyway, the, the idea was, though, that, that, you know, Lewis was close friends with this guy, and they shared their stories with each other and some other great people. They, mm-hmm. I remember you and I were talking one time about whether G.K. Chesterton was in the group. He wasn't in the group. He was ahead of their time because a little bit, he but, came before them. And but they, were big, but they really liked him. Big G.K. Yeah. Chesterton fans. And so they would talk about his writings. So, and some really amazing people in this group. And uh, bottom line is, is there was a conversation one night where Tolkien, maybe, I'm, maybe you know, because Catholics aren't. I shouldn't say this because it's too. I just what I was about to say sounded wrong, but other than missionaries, Catholics aren't known for, you know, seeking others and inviting them into a mm-hmm. relationship with Christ. That's more of an evangelical Protestant thing. And the fact is, is that Tolkien may not have been trying to convert his friend. I think the Inklings just covered any and every topic that made your mind spin and so Tolkien just sort of poses this question to him that leaves him kind of you know what's the word they use nowadays gobsmacked you know and and do we use gobsmacked I don't but (laughs) I've heard that one and at the end of the day I think it just kind of they left him shook it was the thing that pushed him over the edge where he finally made his decision and mere Christianity though it wasn't the first thing he'd written it was a real reflection of that experience Mm -hmm. And and he he started reflecting on how he came to believe. And then he started thinking about what it takes to help other people come to the same conclusion. And so it's not a book about evangelism. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is, is that, as I've often said, is that pastors, at least in my career, uh, often look out over pews full of people, but a lot of empty hearts. And I don't mean any criticism 
to anyone in particular, but if you are really honest, which this study of mere Christianity is going to require of you, if you take this podcast and this book seriously, you're going to have to be honest. And one of the honest things that I'm going to challenge you is, is as a pastor, I look out over the pews and I know that there are people who are with me, but only to a certain level. Mm -hmm. I know that there are people who really love church, really love the relationships, really love programs and social activities, but I'm not sure how much they love Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is that they are lives, they, they will live lives that don't show their devotion to Christ as much as their devotion to themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. Every Christian becomes a Christian who, at least in the beginning, is more devoted to self than Christ. It's not like it happens overnight. That's why Wesley liked to talk about sanctification so much or sanctifying grace. It was just his way of saying, you spend the rest of your Christian life in pursuit of personal holiness, meaning that at some point you could conceivably, Wesley would say, have perfect love. And that means that your mind and heart would be in alignment with Christ. Mm -hmm. I, you know. I don't see myself getting there before I'm dead, but you know, what Wesley would have said was, well, that's fine. When you die, then it will be completed, you know? So either way you, you, you get to finish the game, mm -hmm. but you have to be in the game. And so as a pastor, I look out over the pews and I see an awful lot of people who are, are, you know, they, they, if it's monopoly, they've got all the money divvied up. They got all the cards, they got all the pieces, they're all set up, but they're not in the game. They're, they're just sitting around the game. Or maybe they're just coming and looking at the game board once a week. You know, and, and so uh, if we're going to do mere Christianity together, we've got to they're be honest. The bench. You know, we've really got to be honest about this. And uh, so if you don't have a copy of the book, it's one of the cheapest books you can buy out there because it's so common and so easy to get a hold of. You can read it on Kindle for probably a couple of bucks. You can get paper copies. I, I just ordered myself a copy today, and it was like 10 bucks. Yeah. It's not bad. Uh, if you like me, you know, I also have an Audible copy of it, so I listen to it on Audible whenever I want to. And, and uh, I have sitting in front of me right now an anthology of several of, of C.S. Lewis's stuff, and I think I paid 11 bucks for mm -hmm. that. So this is something you can get a hold of and you can really get into. And uh, Just buy all his books. Did too. we have that in the church library? You just completely revamped our church library. We did not. We had some Chronicles of Narnia, but not the whole collection. Okay. So it kind of feels like we ought to have, you know. All the Lewis. C.S. Lewis books in the church library <laughs> so people can borrow them. But I'm excited about reading this one because for whatever reason, this is one I haven't read. Yeah. And I've read a lot of his stuff, especially his fiction stuff, but I've read quite a bit of his stuff and I've not ever read. I think I've been a little intimidated by mere Christianity, to be honest, because of the title and because I know what it's about. <laughs> um, but I'm really, I'm excited about reading it because I haven't read it. And he's, I think he's one of the most accessible writers. Mm -hmm. he, he's so like in his fiction, he's so good at spinning a story to the point where you almost don't really realize what you're reading is an allegory, like with Narnia, like the whole thing is allegorical. And well, I was just, I, side trip, sorry. I was just reading this really delightful little book called I'd Rather Be Reading, which was like a collection of essays about being a total book nerd, which I really, really am. And She's not kidding, folks. <laughs> Bethany Sinkhorn is a book nerd. Like, Hardcore. 
Um, and there was an essay. And we love her for it. <laughs> well, there was an essay that I was talking to my mom about. And it was really funny because it was an essay about the book that hooked you. And I said, I know exactly what book it was. I was in second grade sitting on our couch in Lanesville. And I even said, like, where in the room the couch was. It was up the stairs of our split-level house in the living room. The It was on the wall with the windows. And mom had gone to the library while I had been at school. And she came over and handed me a book with a purple binding and a fawn on the front standing next to a lamppost in the snow. And I started reading it. And I don't think I came up for air until I finished it. <laughs> and that's the book that hooked me. And it's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yep. So Lewis has always been like my heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, because I read plenty before that. Like, I, I was a reading machine from preschool on, I think. But... Yeah. But that like that that essay got me because I was like I know exactly what my hook book is. It's it's Chronicles of Narnia because I didn't know what I was reading. <laughs> well, and I remember telling all of you kids when you were little. We have five, and I remember telling all of you when you were little, and you're the one that I think it took with the most. Which isn't a discredit to your brothers and and uh, your younger sister. It just has to do with the fact that each one's different, mm -hmm. and that's one of the cool things about having kids. You know, is um, but, but I just told you, I said, here's what I know about reading. It's not that you will get smarter because you remember everything you read, but reading makes you smarter because it's like exercising your brain. So in the same way that exercising your body makes it stronger, mm -hmm. exercising your brain makes it stronger. Mm -hmm. And you, you just took that and ran with it. And, and I'm not kidding you folks. I can remember when she was in grade school, the libraries would announce their summer reading programs. She would leave the library with the maximum number of books you were allowed to check out. She'd come back a week later and say, now what? And she would always win the, the library reading challenges for the summer, usually by the end of June or July at the latest, you know. So this kid really is a reader. And, uh, and obviously it's also given her a good mind, but. Well, so, and that's like, that's what I love about C.S. <clears throat> Lewis is like, I read it as a second grader and adored it for the beautiful story. Mm -hmm. And I read the whole series as probably a sec. I think I probably read the whole thing in second grade, but then I read it again in sixth grade and it was different for me. And I read it again as a grown, like probably when I was in college, I think is the last time I reread the whole series again. And then I listened to you listening to them and it, there's so many layers to yeah, the quality see, I, of the story. Because... I, I took most of his nonfiction stuff early, you know, and then later on mm -hmm. finally got around to, and I actually last summer when I was mowing the grass all summer long, well, it really took, it didn't take that long. Um, but, but for several weeks I listened to the entire Chronicles of Narnia collection while I was mowing the grass. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and it was great cause I'd never done that. Yeah. Um, and combining that with all the other stuff. So last summer was my C.S. Lewis kind of deep dive. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad I did it. And so I'm really, I'm really grateful to the one who asked us to do this study yeah. because it would be a shame to have dived, dived so deeply and then not, you know, come up with something. So, so let's get back to uh, just yeah, for, sorry. no, no, it's okay. But, but, but now as far as the, um, kind of giving a little backstory on C.S. Lewis. So, so Jack, mm -hmm. uh, eventually, you know, of course he's, you know, we think we're smart because we've read a few books. 
this guy was brilliant yeah. and 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 people that he hang hangs around with they're they're people that i you know i don't even want to be get command of foreign not foreign languages but dead languages or ancient language i my my goodness these guys they just you know these are the the professors you see you know c.s lewis Cl uh, clive staples jack lewis this is a guy who was what you envision when you're watching some uh period piece on british television or pbs or something you know and he's wearing the robe uh that you know how they wore those those kind of uh black sort mm -hmm. of over the shoulder mm -hmm. cowls or whatever you know and the tweed and and the bow ties and the vests and the watch chains and like mr chips and the pipes you know smoking their pipes i mean this that's who he was. That's that's the kind well, of man he was. And if you've ever seen, if anybody has ever seen the like the newer film version of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Professor yeah. Kirk, it's Lewis. Yeah, it could have been him. Like you know? that's. I think he modeled it after his dad originally, yes. but I believe you're but, right. But like it's that's that's who he was. Yeah, <laughs> and and so he, you can picture him that way and accurately. And, you know, the fact is his love for cigarettes and things, part of the reason he wasn't with us longer, mm -hmm. you know, but that was also very typical in those days. Very typical of you know, the time. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, that was him and the kind of people he was around. And, and yet he was, by all accounts, a very accessible person, despite being, you know, such an egghead in a way. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he had a real knack for being both an intellectual and someone who could talk to anybody. And so that's why he became very popular in England on the radio. And he was, you know, he was a radio star at a time when radio was at its, the heights of its popularity. I, those who know me, I'm a big old time radio fan. I listen to old time radio shows all the time. And the golden era of radio is remarkable everywhere in the world where it was embraced. And in England, they liked him as a kind of entertainment as well as an informing, you know, teacher. And so he had regular, you know, it's really interesting because Charles Spurgeon, who's another character I'm really interested in, had a daily column in the newspaper, in the London Times, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, and in that era, the golden age of the newspaper, he was a star. And that is uh, why you can still read to this day Spurgeon's uh, morning and evening devotions, because in those days, those, uh, you know, he wrote a column. They had a morning edition of the paper and an afternoon edition of the paper. You know, we get one delivered to our mailbox a day now, but people in those days, some newspapers ran three issues a day. And, and because that's how people absorbed information before radio and television all that well, so and what's really cool about you saying that is like i guess truth speaks because i'm like even today i think that i think if they were around today there would still be a way for them to be in popular they'd probably be podcasting well and that's what like that's that's what I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at without doing a very good job is like truth speaks in that they were like Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, they were talking about the things in this book and they were talking about God in a really accessible way and people wanted it. And, and I think today if you said, oh yeah, people want that, then you'd have a lot of people arguing, no, they don't, but it still finds a way to be in 
on the front line. Yeah, yeah. Because they're speaking truth. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah, you're right. And uh, and that's what's kind of amazing. Is, and I'm sure there are people out there today doing it too. So it's not going to, you but... know, there's not going to be a C.H. Spurgeon column about Christian living in USA Today or the New York Times or anything. Those days are long over. But the voices are still being heard and the messages are still being proclaimed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, uh, and you know, if you want to put it in perspective, people who read the London Times morning and afternoon, if they weren't into that, they wouldn't have read that article. They would just skipped it over. So right. it isn't like it was being forced on anybody, but it was there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with C.S. Lewis. You know, there are some people that probably said, oh, goodness, I hate this guy. I don't want to listen to this. And so when he came on, they went and did something else, but others were gripped by it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's how he became popular in in the general public. And that's why you can actually hear recordings of him teaching his own stuff because it was all, most of it was preserved, you know? So it's out there and he had a very deep uh, uh, sort of baritone voice and he had a real sort of methodical way of talking. He was very paced uh you know he wasn't an orator in a sense that like you know a great speech maker would be but what he was was somebody who was very you know easy to follow well a teacher yeah he was a teacher and and you know he's a great communicator um i guess there's probably not much more that we need to say to get the table set for mere christianity but but uh in in some circles you could call him an apologist which is a person who is explaining the fundamentals of, of Christianity and therefore, you know, can answer the hard questions or at least help you, you know, deal with confusing issues and everything. So, so here's, here's what I was thinking, Bethany. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the people, um, I, hopefully I'll remember to do this next week. Or when We're going to try to record these once a week, but, you know, I've made promises before and had to break <laughs> them, as some of you listeners know. Uh, we did, we had a false start on this, uh, uh, did you see my Facebook post about that? I posted on our knowing I'm God really with heart. I'm really bad and, about being on Facebook. Well, that's all right. I'm on our knowing God with heart and mind. I had announced we were going to do this Francis Chan thing and we're going to link it yeah. to, to, uh, uh, right now media mm-hmm. and everything. And, and as, as my busy pastoral life combined with my unrealistic expectations, I thought there's no way I can pull this off. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just put on there, I put a picture of a referee doing the false start signal. And I I said, well, okay, false start. Uh, I thought we could do this, but I was wrong. We're not going to do it. So then I announced about a week ago that you and I were going to do this mere Christianity thing. And I was really committed to it. And, and, uh, you know, and then you know how it took us five days to finally get in front of these microphones because we declared five days ago, we're going to do it tonight. And then something happened and then we're going to do it tonight and something happened. We're going to do it today. Something happened. We're going to do it today. Something happened. So even now, Bethany's got a busy schedule. And as soon as we're done, she's got to take off and go to church to do things. And, and uh, I actually get a quiet night, but then I'm going to do post-production on this. So, um, but but the interesting thing is, is we're here and we're going to try to do this weekly because mm-hmm. once we get started, we feel like we owe that to you. I'll probably open forthcoming episodes with this is episode two, you know, whatever. But uh, but obviously this is the introductory episode one. And um, some of the people might not have picked up the book yet. So mm-hmm. get your copy of C.S. Lewis. This won't be as interesting for you if you don't read along with us. Okay. 
because we're not going to read the book to you. We're going to do a study. We have some study questions. We have a study guide that we're going to look at. So, so I'm, I'm going to give a couple of setup questions today, mm-hmm. and you and I can maybe dance around with them a little bit, but we'll probably hit it hard next time mm-hmm. because we're going to assume that our friends are now reading with us. And, and if you're audiophiles like me, get the audio version of it. And I got good news for you. This book is so common that if you don't want to, if you don't want to get an audible uh, $14 a month account or whatever, I'm sure you could probably listen to this for free through the public library. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to do it because I don't have the smarts. Or YouTube it. Or you can go watch it on YouTube. It's or just probably on YouTube. Or you can listen to it on YouTube, you know? I mean, I don't know, but I would guess, didn't she, is your copy, is your audio copy read by him? Well, I have or, a, uh, the Four Loves is one that oh, I've okay. got that that and that'd be another one that'd be fun to do. Yeah. But the Four Loves is the one that that I have that's actually him reading it. Oh, okay. Um, but I bet on YouTube it's out there oh, yeah. with him reading it. Well, I'd say just Google it if you're if you're yeah. needing to listen to this because you you know don't really have time to read or you're not much of a paperback reader or book reader. I understand that, but because uh, I do both. I mean, you know, I just. I just don't like doing tasks without listening to something. It's just a long story. But anyway, um, you can get this a variety of ways. You you can go to Barnes & Noble or, or to Books a Million or something, and you can probably pick up a CD of it and then take it home and, and you know copy it over through iTunes or whatever to your smartphone. Or, there's a bunch of ways you can do this. That's all I'm trying to tell you. But read along with us because it will make this a whole lot easier mm-hmm. for you. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little bit of time we have left, and I'm going to set us up with this question, basically. C.S. Lewis, Jack, begins by stating that he's not offering help for anyone hesitating between two denominations and or overly concerned about certain disputed matters. So his objective is uh, a defense of what Richard Baxter called mere Christianity. So that's the setup paragraph. So basically what we're saying is is that in the beginning of the book, C.S. Lewis says, I'm not here to deal with religion. I mean, I think that's a fair Mm -hmm. assessment. And when he says mere Christianity, the name of the book is saying, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about doctrines of the church. I'm not talking about tradition. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a Christian? So that's the the essence of this. So um, where would you place yourself on the denomination chart uh, that we have in our study guide? I'll, I'll, I'll describe this to you. Horizontally, do you lean more toward the frozen chosen or the hurried worried? Vertically, do you lean more to the surgical liturgicals or the holly rollies? So let's look at the chart. So here's the chart. <laughs> I, I like, I like the, or the holy rollies, I think is what I was supposed to say. Yeah, holy rollies. I, I, you know what? Might be time for a new prescription. So here's what I want you to picture, listeners. So my study guide I have an X. I have a, a plus sign with, you know, and it's a graph. Yeah, right? it's, yeah it's like an XY graph yeah, quadrants. So you've got four quadrants, and at the top of each of the vertical points, at the top and bottom of those, you have surgical liturgicals, 
uh, who are yeah. Well, here you look at it because you've got better eyes than mine. So what Liturgical is surgical liturgicals are word based and orderly? Okay, I'm like at the top of that one then. Well, we're talking about religion. Okay, well, then I don't know, but in life. Yeah, we're talking about religion here. So so the question, and, and, you know, sorry, folks, that I've sort of butchered the first question in our study. Okay. But so, so basically the, 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 uh, the discussion for this is where so do you see yourself? So surgical word-based and orderly would be like the ones who like lit, like the liturgy and like ordered worship like right i went to a anglican church in evanston illinois back in the early the late 90s okay and marveled at the fact that it was evanston illinois it was the midwest and every time the priest or yeah well he's a priest every time the priest said the word holy it was holy right and 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 then what what was really funny was is afterwards you know we introduced ourselves to him and he'd go how you guys doing you know and, and it's like it was like when he That's was awesome. doing the priest thing right when he was doing the priest thing when he was wearing all the robes and he was doing anglican worship he said holy and that seems to me like well in word based to me seems like like when i've gone to church with my grandparents and like Everybody starts talking, and I'm like, "Oh, are we supposed to be saying something?" Yeah, right. And everybody knows it by heart. because 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 your grandparents are Catholic, and uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and and see, yeah, so it's a liturgical liturgies yeah. are are prepared, uh, responsive readings, corporate prayer, unison prayer, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. okay so what else is on our our our? Um, uh, the frozen chosen are on the left horizontal and it says predestined right so given political and and uh religious events of the last week or so of this recording which by the way i usually announce at the beginning was made on march the 4th 2019 uh frozen chosen in my opinion is people who are more convinced of their righteousness in and of themselves than they are the righteousness of christ yeah which kind of goes along with what i was saying earlier about the people i see out in the pews some of them are there but they're they're confident in their righteousness more than christ's righteousness you know what i mean and so they're saying yeah of course i'm gonna you know it's the old remember evangelism explosion when i went on that and i told you guys a little about it um you always start with two questions if you died today do you think you'd go to heaven and um you know the person will say yes many times and when they say yes then the second question is is well then when you're standing at the gates of heaven and and uh you're wanting to go in the the person at the gate might ask you this question why should i let you in so what would you say? And most people will say, well, I was a good person. You know, I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I was a good person. That's righteousness based on your own behavior, your own habits, right. your own deeds. It's it's an internal Right. So, so internal Frozen Chosen would be, in my book, people who are claiming righteousness in and of themselves and assuming that that's good enough and they would claim that their righteousness comes not only from 
the good deeds they do, but the fact that they go to the right church, that mm-hmm. they contribute, you know, that they believe in Jesus. But, you know, I believe in lots of things that don't necessarily have any impact on my eternal salvation, right. you know. So that's the point. So then what's the other one, the um, other two? The south pointing arrow that's vertical is the holy rollies and they're spirit led and spontaneous spirit led and spontaneous dancing in the aisles that's right those are the ones from from the blues brothers movie that were <laughs> were doing somersaults over <laughs> yes. the pews i'm kidding <laughs> but uh, but holy rollies are definitely people who and and here again, I, I don't mean any disrespect to them, but I would sort of characterize that as people who have a more feelings based yeah. religion. That that it, you know, that when when the preacher really gets rolling and he says a lot of huhs and and, and and when he's really breaking out in a sweat or when he's calling for amens all over the place and he's sort of building this this fervor mm-hmm. you know, so to me a holy roly would be somebody who's got a feelings based religious taste yeah. and by the way there's nothing wrong or right about what we're doing here we're just showing you this vision we're, we're trying to we're trying to paint a word picture of something visual and asking you where you think you fall on it so what's the 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 eastern yeah the that one is the hurried worried and it says free willed yeah yeah which sounds like a weird well parenthetical for that name so what i think i would characterize that one as is the people who are always afraid they're not good enough that the people who are um uh you know believe it or not john wesley went through this for a while before he really had his full conversion wesley was trying to go to communion every day and he would walk all over town because he learned where they were serving communion and what times they were serving communion at the various churches. And, and he wasn't strictly devoted to Church of England necessarily, but he was determined to get communion every day because he kind of felt like if he didn't, that he was in trouble. Um, but it also, like, if it's if it's spectrums, right? then I would think that, like, if Frozen Chosen is the ones who believe that they're predestined, right? then... The hurried worried are those who would err more on the side of right, not not being confident that they're saved. Yeah, I guess yeah, that makes sense. Because if you're, you're predestined, yeah. then you figure you don't you're have to, to do go. anything. You're good to go, and so the opposite would be to think that you're you're you haven't done enough. That you need to keep doing stuff. You too. know, and okay. and so. You I have know. no idea where I would fall on this. So, so question is, folks, where do you and and listen? If if you don't want to own it now, just uh, own the traditions that you've experienced. You know, do you remember going to a church that fell into that area? How did you feel about it? Well, I don't um, like. I don't know if any of those spectrums really fit with how I feel about. Because I don't like, especially the horizontal one with the predestined versus free will, because. I, I know I'm not predestined. I know I know I'm going to heaven and I know that when I get there it's because of Jesus. But I also don't feel like I I don't think that I'm the hurried worried because I don't feel like I'm running around worried that I'm not doing enough to solidify my place. I mean, I think that like like you said there's always sanctification. Yeah. And that's important, but 
Well, you know, I don't I, know if, how I feel about these spectrums just because I feel like I don't. So I can answer this question, I think, for both of us in a way. Because most of your life, I've been the pastor of your church. Yes. So you're kind of in a unique position. And, and what I can say fairly comfortably is that we would probably be right square in the middle <laughs> of this diagram. And if we were really honest, it would be a small circle at the center of the diagram. In other words, we would have, like if it was one of those plotted charts like we did in math. Um, we'd be zero, zero. We would, we would not, no, I don't think we'd be zero, zero, but I think that we would be a little bit, just a little bit of all of it, you know. Well, but I, like that would be the center then. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Gosh, Dad, do the math. Well, that's not my strong suit. I can do some heavy theology. So here we are trying to mix theology and doctrine with yeah. math, and it's no wonder my head's about to cave in. You know, yeah. it's just like. Well, it is funny, though, because, like, I, you know, before you said it was just church stuff, I was like, oh, well, I'm super word-based and orderly, and I'm also the hurried worried for yeah. sure in my life because I'm, like, I run on anxiety. Not in, like, a bad way, I think, but, like, I just, I'm high-strung. And I think that's funny because I wouldn't fall into those categories in terms of how I do church. Yeah. But that's how I do life. Yeah. I so, like order. So the next question is, is, in your opinion, what benefits do you think are obtained from denominations? So what's the good of being associated with a denomination? And what a loaded question for me the week after the end of the special general conference yeah. of 2019. You know, I'm not at all sure what good denominations are yeah. right now. Well, um, I think, I guess, like, if, you, if you're in a denomination, usually you've chosen, I mean, I don't, maybe not, but, like, I grew up in the Methodist church, so I guess that's different for me. But, like, I... I'm with Wesley. Right. So I think like if you, the, a, a benefit of a denomination is like that you jive with their core tenants. Right. Exactly. I, I would, well, I'm saying exactly like that's the right answer. Listeners, you don't have to give a right answer. Yeah. I'm just saying that when I think but of like that would how be... you were brought up and what we, our experience of denominations has taught us that we have these root things that are, are, at the heart of the denomination yeah. that we do believe. I, I, no and I matter... think like if I didn't jive with Wesley, then I would have sought a different denomination, but, and, and maybe it's because I grew up in it and you have always been very Wesley. And so you've taught me what it means to be a Wesley and not just a Methodist. Right. But like, if those things didn't jive for me, then I'm the kind of person that would have looked for something else. Right. I get you. That fit with, because, like, I well, and I think, like, denominations, we have one thing in common, and it's the most important thing. Right. But, like, if there were, the like, you brought up the special conference. If. Yeah. Which leads to the third question, if certain, which is, what's the downside of denominations? You don't always agree. And people get have opinions that don't match up. And I think, like, if there was a big... And I won't go into that one, but, like, if there was a big thing that didn't fit for a person, then they would look somewhere else for another right. denomination that did meet those needs for them. And, whether, like, whether we're going to get to heaven and find out that we were all totally wrong about those things. Even McDonald's like, has realized that one size doesn't fit all. Right. 
Um, not everybody. If McDonald's was sure that they could be the incredibly huge billion dollars of – I don't want to go off on a tangent. I'm just saying even McDonald's has decided to sell salads and they've decided to sell other things because if they could just sell hamburgers and french fries, they might have gone out of business a long time ago because, you know, at some point it's great that you can always count mm-hmm. on it being the same but so so diversity comes into denominations, mm-hmm. and so we we agree that the Wesleyan tenants make good Methodists, so to speak. But at the same time, diversity came along in time, so that now we have something called the United Methodist Church, which is not only about Wesley and and his Charles and John Wesley, but it's also about some some German people mm-hmm. who gave us similar beliefs who became part of it through the evangelical United Brethren. Mm-hmm. And so so the reality is, is that with the diversity comes more opportunity for controversy, yeah. which isn't to say that we shouldn't embrace diversity, but it just means that diversity is always going to make it harder to remember what we're really focused on. And so... Well, and I think going in an opposite direction, too, another problem with the denominations and just with organizations in general, because at the end of the day, a denomination is another organization. It's, you know... Um, um, the opposite problem can happen in that, like, any organization is in danger of stagnation, too. Right. And... And that could be a problem with the denomination because if it just gets set in its ways and it's not, yeah, yeah, striving. Well, you know, Catholic Church went through Vatican II back in yeah. about the year I was born in '62, mm-hmm. and and it was because they'd realized that they had become, and I say they like, <clears throat> but the Catholic Church. This is kind of a monumental time in the history of the Catholic Church. Up until Vatican II in the early 60s, the Catholic Church had been kind of a monolith or it had been a kind of a walled-in religion. Yeah. And after Vatican II, they were trying to say, no, you know, we're Christians in development like everybody else. We have a different approach than, than say, Protestants, for example. But So I don't, I don't know that a lot of Catholics would necessarily identify with Wesley unless they became... Uh, unless they came willingly to the United Methodist Church like I did, mm-hmm. because they were saying, you know, I, I just feel more comfortable interpreting my spiritual life this way and my life with Christ this way. So yeah. So uh, the fact is, is, when we get to the point where we've embraced a lot of diversity, um, that's great. That's really great. But it also forces us to be more committed to certain disciplines, because otherwise we lose our core and I think this whole thing last week was about that, is that, that we got one side of the debate saying we can't risk losing our core, and the other side of the debate saying we can't risk losing our diversity. And I think they're both right. Yeah. You know, um, so in my opinion, church, especially in a Wesleyan model, is all about equal measures of grace and discipline. And sometimes you let grace run a little bit ahead of discipline, and sometimes you let discipline run a little ahead of grace. Mm-hmm. And that that's just my take on it. Yeah. Uh, what does Lewis mean by mere Christianity? We kind of covered that. Yeah, I think. And uh, I got that one pretty. Do you remember reading this? Uh, the question is, how does Lewis use the word gentleman to clarify the meaning of a Christian? Uh, it's paragraph 10. 
through 13 in, in the first chapter. Um, uh, I'm just curious. And, and listen, if, if you guys at home are listening or you're, you're listening to this wherever, um, remember, you may or may not have read the first chapter, so this question may be one for you to look for when you start reading. Which the, paragraph? It says paragraph 10. And I don't know if it's in the introduction or if it's in chapter 1. I, I Because I think this first set of questions is actually based on the introduction. But, you know, just remember the old golden oh, rule. Well, I'm a terrible reader because I read chapter 1 and skipped the intro. Oh. Because Did you find the paragraph just yeah, now? Yeah, I found it. It's just that, see, I have a tendency to not read and it, it it makes sense, I promise. Right. I have a tendency not to read introductions and reprints of, like, well-known books because they're usually written by, like, a critic or something, and they're lame. No, I didn't no, realize I'm with that you. this was written by Lewis or I would have read Lewis's own personal introduction. So so what does it say there in... in... Well, he, these paragraphs are gigantic. So, <laughs> so we may not... On. All right, well, let's just do that next week. Okay. You know, that's fine. Because <laughs> um, in the extra credit, uh, this is one you'll have to Google, listeners, uh, is who is Richard Baxter. So that would be an interesting question. So, so folks, we, we deliberately spent a lot of time setting up everything and a little bit of time dealing with discussion questions. Uh, obviously, Bethany and I are having the discussion. You have to have a discussion with somebody. There are two ways you can do this. Um, if you're riding in the car with your beloved, you can have your discussion then. If you are listening to this by yourself, you can go have the discussion later with someone else. If you want to, you can get on our Facebook page, the Knowing God with Heart and Mind group. It's not a page, it's a group. Um, and if you're not a member of that, just Google it and then request to be a member, and I will personally invite you. And, uh, and then go to the, that group and discuss it there. But discuss it with somebody. You know, that'll make this more fun. And hopefully Bethany and I'll just inspire your conversation. And if you want to, you can throw it out there on the Facebook group or you can email us a question or you can come see us at church or whatever. And uh, I don't know, is there anything else we need to say? You think uh, we pretty well set it up. Um, you might have noticed that we did a little bit different format this time. We're just diving right in. Uh, prayer is always important, but we're, we're not doing the music and all that on this one. We're just going to dive right in and use the time for, for the study. Um, not that there was anything wrong, in my opinion, with the other things we were doing, but we're going to take a different approach here. And uh, we may not go a full hour on every single one of these mm -hmm. either. Um, but obviously, first times are always kind of like that. First meetings of a new type it's of like leadership team. It's like the syllabus team. day in college. <laughs> syllabus day at college. There you, you go. You read the whole thing. Yeah. So, so we'll see how it goes next time. But, but for now, I just want to invite you to to join the conversation at the uh, Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group. I want to invite you to um, uh, communicate with us. You can write to me at Shiloh United Methodist Church. If you're listening from outside of the Shiloh family, uh, you are welcome to be a part of the conversation. This is not exclusive. And if you want to know more about Shiloh or, or find the best way to reach out to me, um, I'm just going to invite you to go to the Shiloh webpage. So if you go to shilohum.org, that's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M. 
www.ccm.org, and you'll find all the connection points right there. You can look us up on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, and uh, not only that, but Shiloh has Facebook posts that are refreshed and updated all the time. So just look up Shiloh United Methodist in Jasper, Indiana. And uh, if you happen to be down here in southwest Indiana, we would love to meet you face-to-face. Come on over to Shiloh United Methodist and meet us. Um, And Bethany and I really, really are honored that you listen to our conversations and find value in it. We're humbled and we're praying for you. And uh, Bethany, I'm going to say God bless you and goodbye. And God bless you and goodbye. All right. See you next time, friends.